Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin as always. A little later on in the show, we're going to take a little bit of a different twist and turn in the Sound of the Loons. We're going to be talking to the Minnesota United Technical Director, Mark Watson, after a very busy and extremely successful transfer window for Minnesota United. So, uh, with all of that in mind, plenty to digest in terms of victory against Austin FC several days ago and the forthcoming match against Houston Dynamo K. Let's start with the game against Austin FC. What were your generic takeaways first and foremost? Well, first and foremost, uh, three points against a team that is in terrific form and not just terrific form in general, but specifically on the road. I think coming into the game, they had eight road wins all the season. You and I talked to Josh Wolf. We have the, the privilege to talk to him last week about what, what had changed maybe between their first year in the league and the second year. So it wasn't the prettiest game of soccer, and I think everyone would agree, but I think Minnesota United did exactly what they needed to do against an Austin team that has plenty of firepower going forward, had everybody healthy. Um, Josh Wolf doesn't rotate his lineup a whole lot, whether they're at home or on the road, especially with the formation. And they capitalized on the opportunities that they did create. There wasn't a whole ton of them. We talked about the possession, but the purposeful possession – for Minnesota, they had going forward to create just enough opportunities and finish just enough, and they end up with a win and three points against a Western Conference opponent who's sitting in that second position and having a tremendous year. So for me, it checked every single box off and what they needed to do to get the win, even though it wasn't the prettiest. And by the way, the atmosphere at Allianz Field on Saturday Mm. night was phenomenal. And I know you and I had talked about that before the game on the concourse when we were getting ready to do the pregame show, what were we going to see with a lot of the other sports in action at that time? But it was a beautiful night. The stadium was just vibrant. I mean, the energy from the crowd and the fan base, it was a brilliant night uh, for soccer in Minnesota get, getting the win. Well, Adrian Heath did make a plea, didn't he, in the week and asked the fans uh, to do exactly what they did, uh, proof once again that the fans absolutely play their part on a match day. Um Austin FC then, um, they came in in impeccable form, as you mentioned, largely because of the form of Sebastian Driussi. No doubt there are other components of their game that have led them to such heights at the moment. The one thing I was impressed with, Minnesota United kept Driussi at bay for the most part. Yes, he scored the penalty, but I don't ever remember him having a major opportunity in front of goal. And I think that's key. I mean, that's the kind of the player that you just need to eliminate. You eliminate his opportunities to score or to find someone else, and you're going to find success. And yes, he scores the penalty, but especially in the first half, I thought he was nearly non-existent, um, aside from scoring the goal in, in stoppage time. So for me, I thought that... Um, and everybody says that about Reynoso. It's very similar in that vein, you know, that if you find a way to keep the ball out of their feet, you will find success against that team. And I thought that most teams have not been able to do that this season against UC. And Minnesota United did, and their other players weren't effective in his non-effectiveness. It didn't open up opportunities for others on Austin FC because you were so focused on Sebastian Drusi, which oftentimes can happen. And they have plenty of players that can steal the focus and capitalize on those moments, and they didn't do that. So I thought, um, you know, DJ Taylor playing uh, left back against Austin was phenomenal. He did what he needed to do going forward, very little, which is fine. But defensively, 
the change of shape, the change, and you talked to DJ about this before the game, how was he going to have to change positionally to defend on the left-hand side versus the right and that adjustment you have to make mm. going up a player against like Ethan Finley um, and knowing his tendencies. So all in all, I thought you could check just about every single box. I thought Benitez had his best game that we've seen um, since he's arrived on both sides of the ball and, and learning positionally, defensively where he needs to be. So, And shutting down Drews, he was um, a task at hand for all those players, including the holding mids, and I thought they did wonderfully at it and kind of traded off and, and passed off responsibilities to keep an eye on him. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the holding mids here shortly, but it was, it was funny you mentioned the DJ Taylor conversation because he was saying naturally being right-footed um, and going up against Ethan Finlay, um, Going up against a, a winger like Ethan Finlay, you're always going to want to show him down the line, not necessarily inside. And because of the, the changing of angles and being predominantly right-footed, so many times DJ was, was saying to me, I'm actually showing him inside. Like, okay, all right, this is okay. But then there were times when he was opening up and he was showing him down the line. Um, and it was just an interesting conversation to have, um, knowing how angles change um, and understanding body shape in, in that situation. Um I thought DJ Taylor was great, and, and he once again gave Adrian Heath a ton to think about moving forward. Um, we still don't know the, the situation. We're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon up at the National Sports Centre. We don't know the situation um, of Kamar Lawrence at the moment. Um, he's been training-ish. Um, we're not entirely sure if he's going to be available. Um, obviously, he's first choice if he is available, but we'll have to wait and see uh, over the course of the next 48 hours or so. Um so what of the holding midfield situation then, Kendra? Um, you and I have spoken about this on this very podcast. When you have Robin Lutz and you have Kevin Arriaga in there, neither are a traditional six, a traditional holding midfielder. Um, but I know you were very impressed with the outlet and the outcome of Robin Lutz's performance against Austin. I thought he found himself higher up the field at times, which is exactly where I want to see him. And I don't know if that's the game plan that's shaped up. And I know we've talked to Adrian Heath about this. How do you feel about the balance between those two players specifically? Would you rather have Robin higher up the field? Because offensively, he's more dangerous. He combines better with, with Reynoso. He has the skill um, to be able to play the combination play and to read the game. But Adrian Heath said very distinctly, like, Robin is a cerebral player. He will go where he needs to be. And we talked to Robin about it as well. And he said that Ariaga is young and sometimes he just goes mm -hmm. and he has the energy to go and to make the runs forward and to make the runs back and side to side and ping the ball. So I thought, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but that Robin was finding himself in, in positions higher up the field than we had seen him previously in the last couple games prior when he was partnered with Ariaga. And I don't know if that's intentional or if there was a conversation that was had there between those two and Adrian Heath and, and everybody else. Um, but I like that he was pushing on. I like that he was getting more involved. He was sitting more, you know, almost when, when Ray vacates that space and finds the wide areas or finds that pocket of space alongside Amaria and, you know, f trying to figure out where Fragapane is going to be, trying to figure out where Longwane is going to be. When, when Robin pushes on and finds that pocket of space and sort of becomes a de facto number 10 almost, I think that the team is more successful in the final third of the field, and he's smart enough to know when to go and when to stay. So 
Um, I, I thought the partnership, and again, that to me is a lot of chemistry. It's just understanding each other. Ariaga, Robin, the more they would play together, I think the more you'd see that come to fruition. We also don't know if Will's going to be back in or not. Um, clearly, he came off off the bench in that game against Austin, so he should be fit and healthy to play, but who knows what, what that's going to look like. It, it just means you have options, and I liked Robin higher up the field. Let's go back to fullbacks, shall we? We've already spoken of DJ Taylor. What about on the opposing flank, Alan Benitez? There were many suggesting in the Twin Cities that that perhaps was his best performance in a Minnesota United jersey thus far. Well, I think, um, you know, when I asked Adrian about this before the game, what has he made so far of Benitez and what he's come here to do and what they've seen from him? And he felt everything that they've asked from a going forward perspective. I still think, and you and I talk about this, could his final ball be a little bit better at times? You know, he's still trying to figure out where he belongs in the system, when to go forward, when to serve the ball in, when to take it himself, when to combine if Longwane tucks in or or Ray. Um, So I thought from an overall perspective, the best game I've seen from Benitez going forward and defending. And that's been the little bit of a, uh, and I don't want to call it a negative, but a learning curve for him is tracking back and defending and reading that as an outside back because in the previous system, he played in a three-back system yes. with true wing backs. So he always had that cover with a center back in a three-back system behind him. So if he did gallivant forward and didn't immediately sprint back or got caught out of position because he made the run forward and then didn't get the ball or his team turned it over, there was cover for him where there is not here um, and I just think that this was the best game I've seen from him, both sides of the ball, the willingness to make the runs forward, much like we saw Roma Metzenier do when he was in that position, has that energy, that motor. He's gotten fitter and fitter as his time here has continued and um, the willingness to make the run back. And I thought by far his best game, getting in the box, serving the ball in, getting to the end line when needed, and more importantly, tracking back defensively. And I think his chemistry with Longwani on the right-hand side continuing to grow as well. We saw a home debut for Jonathan Gonzalez, who came on the field for a matter of minutes. Not not enough for us to dissect, really. But we did see a few more minutes from the new DP, Mender Garcia. Now, there's all sorts of um, intricacies about this contract, which we'll let Mark Watson explain in the next segment of The Sound of the Loons. Um, but there's genuine expectation, regardless, when a DP comes in. Um, there's expectation with him coming in given what he was able to achieve in Colombia with Once Caldas, um, I thought he showed a couple of glimpses in the what, 10 to 12 minutes that he was given. Um, there's, there's a genuine player in there, and I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for him to get fit. I, I, I'm, not saying he's, I'm not suggesting he's not match fit, but to be able to get himself sharp enough to play in this system, because regardless if he's playing as a centre-forward or in the wider areas... There aren't genuine demands in this system, and that'll take time to to come to fruition for him. Honestly, the thing I was most impressed with when he came on the field, literally the first ball that was played to him, and he was kind of in a wide left attacking role when he first came on the field. And what I was most impressed with is he could have just taken the ball and gone to goal. Because, like, hey, here I am, this atmosphere, this energy, this adrenaline, I want to impress, I want to show everyone what I can do. But instead, he settled the ball down, he played the ball back, he possessed the ball, he stayed kind of within himself in the game plan. And then there were other moments as the game had moved forward. I know he wasn't in for a long time, but then he moved in more of a central attacking role. And then he, you know, he took a couple shots that maybe, you know, were ill-advised, but he felt good about it. So for me, the fact that he made that decision in his first possession 
was a good sign that he didn't try to do too much. He had a clean first touch, which gives you confidence in that kind of an atmosphere when you come into a new system, a new country, a new team, a home field with 19,000 plus um, against the number two team in the Western Conference. And I don't know if he understands all that or not, but he can feel the energy that's in there. Um, and the expectation that comes along with being a, 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 an attacking player in this league, whether he understands the DP you know, situation or not. Um, and I thought that I was impressed with that he stayed within himself. He was simple. Um, he did show some glimpses of the attacking player that they want to see to be selfish at times and go forward and, and, and try to strike and, and go and score goals. But I do think, and, and this is not from that game per se, but even from training today, and we talked about this during training, there was one moment they were doing the crossing and finishing drill, and he's got his, he's got to one-time it to goal, and he takes a touch and then strikes it, right? And I'm thinking, you're not going to have time to do that in a game. And maybe those are just little, and there's no defenders in this drill. So maybe those are the little things that even adapting to this league, adapting to the pace, the athleticism, what you have to adjust to, those are the kind of things that as he continues to get more minutes, I'm not going to, you know, I was, I was pleased with his limited time that he had, and I've been pleased with seeing him in training and adapting to the group, and hopefully he scores goals and versatility in the, in the front attacking positions. Yeah, can play across the entirety of the yes. front line, which will absolutely help Minnesota United. Not, not too much time left to make a major impression. I get the feeling this is very much for next season and beyond, um, but he's here now. He's got, what, eight games left, and, and no doubt he'll add something, but... The one thing which I would say with, with Garcia is that I think at the moment we need to temper expectations. Um, he's come in as a designated player for various different reasons, which again, we'll, we'll let Mark Watson, the technical director of Minnesota United, explain. To my understanding, he is um, he is a TAM-eligible player, meaning I think at, at some stage in the off-season, perhaps, he will be brought down uh, and be a TAM player, meaning a designated player contract will then be open for Minnesota United to go and bring somebody else in in an area that they feel is necessary. Again, we'll, we'll let Mark Watson explain the real intricacies and details of that moving forward. Um, so before we get on to the next segment and hear from Mark Watson, Houston Dynamo, the next opponent for Minnesota United then, Kay, um, just one win in their last 10 in Major League Soccer, one win in their last nine on the road as well. Um there will be many people that will say, oh, well, this is fairly straightforward for Minnesota United. I can't help but think this is what you guys would say in this country is a trap game. I can absolutely see Houston Dynamo coming into Allianz Field, playing a 4-5-1, going direct, and irritate as much as they can. From a, uh, an away day point of view, I can see them really causing problems for Minnesota United, being compact, um, and I, I think I think irritation is the right word. I think Minnesota United will have to be very patient on Saturday. What do you call this game? You said we in America call it a trap game. Do you guys have a name for it? Because everyone so. on listening to this podcast will know what a trap game is. Um, but do you guys have a term for that, or does it not exist in those leagues? Um, tricky, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a game that should be won yeah. by the home team, yeah. hands down. Um, by run of form, quality, position in the standings, all those kinds of things. I'll tell you what we say. I think we say banana skin back home. So <laughs> really? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Like it's slippery? Like it's a potential slip-up. Okay. You know, yeah, that I would think, make anyway, sense. That would I, make sense. That's just come to my mind. Maybe that's completely <laughs> wrong, but I, I think that's what we say. Yeah, I'm anyway. sure you'll hear about it. I'm yeah. sure someone will tweet you if, if that's wrong. But, I, I, I mean, check off every single one of those boxes as far as what this game should be and could be. And also, that's not just because it's Houston Dynamo and they're sitting in the position they're in in the standings. and They've won one in 
you know, of their last 10 and, and have one win on the road mm-hmm. this season. I think it also lends itself to the nature of this league and this conference in particular, that there really is no game where you can look on the schedule and go, yes, that is a game that we absolutely should win. Do I feel with this roster and the quality in this group and the form that Minnesota United is on and the confidence they are playing with, should this be a 3-0 win? Yes, in my mind. Should be a shutout, a clean sheet, which should be important to this group, which we know it, it has been in Dane St. Clair in this back line and however you want to midfielders and all that above. And should they be able to score three goals against this defense in Houston Dynamo? Yes, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. This should be a 3 nothing win and a springboard for the next game against Salt Lake and the next game after that against Dallas and the next game after that. I mean, you look at the schedule that's upcoming, and we were just looking about at this at training, the home and away and who you have left and where those people and those teams are sitting in the standings. This needs to be three points and an assertive three points. But you know Darwin Quintero, if he's healthy and ready to play, He's going to want to put on a show if he can. You know you've got Hector Herrera if he's healthy and ready to play for Houston. You could see his quality when we were on the road at Houston. The balls he can ping left to right. His ability to just lead that midfield. That frees up Darwin Quintero a little bit and what he's capable of doing um, to not have so much attention on him. And then they have attacking pieces. That Olfarsson kid up Mm. top has been lighting up this season, the draft pick. Um, so depending on who they decide to go with from an attacking perspective, they've got quality in this roster. Nobody's going to lay down and die. There's no reward for finishing at the bottom of the table. This isn't like a draft pick situation where, you know, like people, NBA, they tank at the end of the season to uh, get a better situation. This is a moment where you're still going to be playing for pride at the end of the day. And Darwin Quintero is going to try to accomplish something. And this is the Western Conference. There is no easy game. But is there a game that should be a win for you? And it should be like a 3-0? It should be Minnesota United against Houston at home. Houston as well, not technically out of it as well. Right. On 26 points as well. Mm-hmm. So um, That's just, just how tight it is. Right. That just shows you right there. Yeah, just a couple of points away from the top seven. So they'll be wanting to get as many points as they can, I'm sure. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. And next up, we'll hear from the technical director of Minnesota United, Mark Watson. <laughs> When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho. Hello there and welcome back to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Callum Williams, Kindred D. St. Auburn here alongside an extremely special guest today, the technical director of Minnesota United, Mark Watson, who is grinning like a Cheshire cat at the moment. Uh, reason being, I'm sure, is because you had a very, very successful transfer window, Watto. Uh, three new players in for Minnesota United, Alan Benitez, Minda Garcia, who we'll ask you about a little later on. Uh, Jonathan Gonzalez coming in on loan from Monterrey as well. Um, I'm assuming you're very pleased with the business. We are. Well, thank you for the introduction to start off. That was, that was quite <laughs> kind. I wasn't expecting that. Um, 
but no, we feel good about it. I mean, the, the dust has settled a little bit and the, the window's closed. So, um, you know, looking back, I think, I think we had a great window. You know, we, you obviously want to get better. You know, there's, there's a bunch of different objectives. Obviously we're, we're bound by salary cap and, and different things, but you know, I think going into the window, we, we basically got what we wanted. You know, some of it was an adjustment to some things that were going on in terms of injuries. Other was to get better in certain areas, you know, add some players that, uh, that add some qualities that, that we were looking for. So I think, you know, the, the overall takeaway is, is we had a really good window. We've added to the group. We've maybe strengthened in certain areas. We've, we've got players in areas where we had some injuries. Um, you know, and, and the, the hope was a short-term push to get us through the end of the season and make a, a, a good, strong playoff run, but also, um, you know, make sure we're strong going into seasons in the future. I think that's such a good point. We can talk about that, the short-term versus the long-term view when you're looking at the push towards the end of the season. But how much can you really change your view based on injuries, knowing how fluid that situation is in this league and especially down the stretch when you have to try to start going after these players well in advance of any possible injuries or, or situations you guys might be dealing with? Yeah, I mean, it makes it challenging. We only have two windows uh, a year, so... You know, you, you have your plans, you, you know, the, the big window is prior to the start of the season, which is typically, you know, February till to May, potentially it's, it's changed with COVID, but, um, you know, you kind of make your plans for the year, but knowing that things happen and injuries happen and loss of form or, or players emerging, um, you know, and you have to, you have to be pretty flexible going into the summer window. So, you know, we felt really good about our group. Um, you know, we started quite well, had a little dip, uh, a couple months in, you know, we weren't um, we weren't as productive as we th- as we thought we'd be. You know, that changed. We um, you know we started scoring a lot of goals. So you know that was potentially something we were going to address in the window. But we 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 had a lot of resolve in terms of the players we had, um, and we just figured it was a matter of time before everyone starts clicking. And and that's happened. So, but it's it's part of the plan that goes into it. We've had some injuries. Obviously, Romain Metzenier's, uh I think he's played twelve minutes for us this year, which that's not part of the plan. You know, he's someone that has been here a while and is a big part of our group. So we, our expectation was that he would be the starting right back and, and would play 34 games. That didn't happen, so we had, we had to adjust. Um, we had the emergence of DJ Taylor, who's done really well. So that was, um, that was an opportunity we didn't know was going to come. But, you know, when someone gets injured, it's, it is an opportunity for, for some of the players that don't, don't play as regularly. Uh, so he emerged. And then we, we wanted to bring in another player at that position in Alan Benitez. So that's one of the, one of the positions we, we addressed in the window. Let's move on then to um, Menda Garcia. We'll speak about Jonathan Gonzalez shortly. But, but Menda Garcia, you mentioned the, the phrase long-term there. I get the feeling this is a long-term play by Minnesota United, given his age and, and given what he can do um, on the fields. He's, at the moment, a designated player. Right. I don't get the sense that's the feeling long-term you, you explain this to me because I know there are some intricacies here with this, sure. this deal yeah yeah so it's I mean it's MLS we have our mechanisms we have our our salary and our roster and all the all the rules so um you know the reality is we really like Mender Garcia and we think he's going to be a perfect complement to the group um we had looked a bun- at a bunch of different options up front you know and when we moved Adrian Hunu to Angers um you know we were looking at what type of profile is, is right for this group? There were, there were options to go get a big-name goal scorer, um, which we looked at. And then there were, you know, there's someone like Mender who, you know, I think 
has an incredible amount of potential. He brings youth. He brings energy. He brings pace to the team. You know, and ultimately we went with that with that uh, that profile. Th- the one thing that was kind of pervasive throughout was, like I said before, we really like this group. You know, we know Luis Amaria has goals in him. Everything was not clicking early on, um, but to make certain changes and bring a big a big name player in that has expectations to play, we felt that would that would be damaging to our chemistry. The chemistry was still emerging, but we 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 were really bullish in terms of the group we had. So. Um, the, f- the final decision-making was Mender was the perfect profile. You know, I went to Columbia to meet him, and he's, he's a fantastic kid. He's humble. He's hardworking. I saw him play a bunch of different games, um, and we just thought he's going to be the right complement to this group. He's, he's young. He's 23. He played wide a lot. They had a, an older goal scorer in his team on Cicalda, so he played wide. So we know he can play wide. He plays up front, um, and just – a really young, fantastic kid who's got a really bright future. So um, in the end, we, we felt that Mender was the right the right player for us moving forward. Touching on the designated player status. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's an MLS term. Um, you know, the one thing we didn't want to do with Mender is, is put any uh, crazy expectations on him. You know, we do think he has a bright future. You know, when you say DP, you think, you know, this big, big name player that's, you know, had a big career. He's 28 years old and he's, He's going to come and, and blow the, the league away right from the, the first time he steps on the field. We think Mender has tons of potential, but we don't want to put that pressure on him. We did sign him as a designated player um, to basically ut- utilize the mechanism for you know that charge for the year. So Adrian, who knew left as a DP, so we brought Mender in as a DP to help finance his deal, um, to pay off some of the transfer fee. And as a half-year signing as a DP, there was a, a half-year budget charge. So in terms of how our cap worked, that was the smart play. You know, it's, it's three, 306000 budget charge. So, you know, we want to be careful not to diminish what we think Mender is as a player because we think he's going to be fantastic. Um, we don't, we don't want to put as, as much pressure on him as that deep DP tag would, would normally carry with it. So we're going to give him time. He's coming into a really good group. He plays multiple positions. He gives us an incredible amount of pace, which is something that we've, for a while now, wanted to add to the team. And we're really happy about him being here. What made Jonathan Gonzalez a good choice and the right fit for this specific transfer window? And what are you, your expectations that he brings to the group? Yeah, Jonathan, another interesting one. We, you know, we felt going into the season, we had a, a pretty strong complement of, of central midfielders. Um, you know, we lost to Sonny Dotson pretty early on to an ACL. We've since lost Jacory Hayes to a broken leg. We had Will Trap out for, you know, longer term with a pretty significant hamstring injury. So as those as those injuries happened, you know, we were looking for someone to to cover us in the short term. Um, they had to be reasonably priced because we're all, we're always up against some some cap restrictions. Um, and we got the opportunity to to look at Jonathan. We, you know, I spoke to Adrian and he He'd seen him play for years and years, played at an incredibly high level at a young age. And, you know, we were really interested right from the start when we knew he, he was available. We think he's, a, you know, and we, we talk about short-term, long-term, short-term, long-term. I think he covers both bases. He helps us right now in terms of, you know, we, we need players in that position due to the injuries, but we think he has an incredible future. He's had an incredible past, you know, and 
um, for whatever reason. And we, and we did look at that fairly extensively. He wasn't playing regularly at Monterey anymore. So we think we've got a player that, you know, just needs the right environment to kind of kickstart his career again. So short-term, fantastic, but we also think he has a real bright long-term future at the club. Let's just go back to, to Mendo Garcia again, shall we? Um, I, I'm curious now because, to, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Walter, he is a, a TAM-eligible player. Right. I think I've got the term right there. So, yeah. so with, with that in mind, my assumption here is that that's something that, should the opportunity present itself, mm-hmm. Minnesota United would, would move him towards a, a TAM-type contract. If that is the case, is it right for me to assume then that the club would look for a designated player in the off-season, or are we thinking too far ahead? No, I mean, p- potentially, yeah. Um, so there are some different categories, and the number of, you know, I would say full DPs you use correlates to the number of U22 slots you can have. So um, basically, if you have two full DPs, your third DP can be, you know, a restricted DP, or they call it a third DP, where the the total cost is below a 1.6 million threshold. Um, what we've done is we've signed two players in that category. So Luis Emery is in that category as well. And we'll call them restricted DPs. Um, and what that means is we do have flexibility with both of them. So we have the opportunity to buy both of those players down if we see the need. You know, So as much as it helps us with our, with our roster and our budget, it also gives us an incredible amount of flexibility. So if the situation were to arise and we felt it was necessary to buy either of those players down or both, um, you know, we could replace them with a, you know, a full DP. It's shocking that anyone would come into this league in this role or as a coach and not understand the salary rules for the league and, <laughs> I know. and how everything works because so, my so wheels, easy. and I can only imagine <laughs> you laying in bed at night and these like things just because now you're technical before, even as a coach, yeah. and then you move into this role. Yeah. Like how in the world do you keep it all straight? I'm, I'm asking that seriously because this has got to be a challenge, especially when coaches come from other leagues mm-hmm. around the world not thinking they can just sign whoever they want whenever they want. It, it is difficult. It is <laughs> difficult. And I've, I've met some people in my similar position coming from other countries. And, you know, after a couple of weeks, you just call them and say how they're doing. And you just, they're just laughing. Like <laughs> the, the roster budget guidelines book is thick and it's detailed. Um, Confusing. It, it is. It's, it's part of the league. You know, there's a lot of, um, and the league does a really good job in terms of having people you can bounce ideas off and how can we structure this. So there's a, there's a lot of um, collaboration with the league and they have, they have some really, really good, really smart people there that, that help you kind of navigate this at times. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of planning, you know, and sometimes decisions may not make sense, but there's, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that, that forces you into certain decisions or doing things a certain way. You know, one, one of it is it's a, it's a salary cap league. So, you know, you know, I would say more than 50% of the time, your decisions are based on those numbers and who you can fit in and, you know, if you want to spend a little bit more money on this player, well, then you have to concede on another player. And, you know, there's there's always stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And it's it's really complex, you know, so having people that understand all those mechanisms and, and kind of how it connects to the reality of building a team is, is really important. Well, you're fortunate and the club are fortunate because you have a, a very good team that understand what's going on and what's needed. How mm-hmm. refreshing is that to know that you've got such a team that, that can do such a good job? Yeah, I think we've got a great team on the field. I think we have a great coaching staff and we have a, we have a great group of people behind the scenes. You know, I think it's, you know, it's, you know, the, the team gets the, the visibility and the, and the coaches get the visibility for doing a great job. But I know from, from my job, we, we have so many people that, that work behind the scenes to put this all together. So 
um, we feel we're on a good path and we and we like our group. Um, let's move on then, shall we? Because the one thing that was obvious was Minnesota United weren't the only team that were busy in this past window. Sure. I think it's safe to say this was the most exciting transfer window we've ever seen in Major League Soccer with so many big names arriving. Off the top of my head, Gareth Bale, Hector Herrera, um, Lorenzo Insigne, uh, Federico Bernadeschi. This league continues to grow year by year, Watto, and, and it, it's come a long, long way in a very short space of time as well. Now what we're seeing as well is we're seeing teams from across the world also wanting to buy from this league as well. That wasn't necessarily the case, I would say, five years ago. Mm-hmm. What sort of differences and what subtle differences are, are you noticing in the transfer market in your role w- worldwide when, when people are coming to Major League Soccer? Yeah, I, I think I think the league is growing in all facets year by year, exponentially. I mean, the last five years it's exploded, you know, and we had a lot of good growth prior to that. I, I think one of the one of the the main paradigm shifts in, recently is we are now looked at as a league that can sign young talented players and they can help you win games, but you can also develop them and, and sell them to the, the top leagues in Europe. Uh, I think that's something that you know, not that we wanted to, to get away from bringing in older players. And I still think there's some, some older players that are, are really attractive and, and have a real value added to the league. But there's a real push to, um, to being known as, as a top league, but also a top league that can develop players. And that, that kind of global marketplace, I think, is a new concept here. Um, and I've had people say, you know, why would you want to sell your best player? Like, there's so many leagues in the U.S. where you would not sell your best player. If you have Tom Brady, you're not looking to trade him to make some money and bring in the next one. You know, you, you want to keep your good players for the most part. So I think it's a little bit of a, a shift in terms of mentality. And I think Miguel Almiron was, was a, a pioneer in that. You know, you can buy a player for $6 million and three years later you sell him for thirty-five, and then you can repeat the process. So I think, you know, grasping that um, kind of way of doing business has been, has been significant. But I think, like you said, in the past five years, the league has grown in so many ways, you know, performance and product on the field, stadiums, training facilities. But we are, we are quickly becoming, you know, a top five league of choice and a league that, you know, and, and I, I see this all the time when I'm, when I'm scouting and speaking to clubs and, and trying, to, trying to sign their, their young, talented players. They want their players to go to MLS, you know, it, Ten years ago, well, why would we go to MLS? You, know, you never sell players on. It's not really a development league. We want to go to different leagues or different clubs in Europe. And, and that has changed significantly. And there's a lot of clubs that they think MLS is as good a place as, as you can have for developing their young players. Most deals, um, there's a percentage of future sell-on. Mm. So these clubs have a vested interest in sending the players to the right place where they, where they can develop, increase the investment, and they make some money down the, down the line. How do you find the happy medium as a club between developing that young talent, but utilizing it for yourself a little bit, and then maybe selling them on? Because I know even with Dallas, that was some of the case. Sometimes they felt like, well, this guy was is phenomenal, but he hasn't even stepped on the pitch for the first team yet. We're selling him on, which is great. You get all this money, but then what are you doing with the money to make your team better? Right. You know, how do you, how do you find that balance yeah. in your role? It's it's really difficult, and every every club has a different philosophy in terms of. You know, do they have a strong academy? Do they bring players through? You know, and I think every club's trying to figure it out. You know, we, you know, we've had some academy players come through, but we don't have a, you know, a really strong pipeline of players just yet. It's something we're working on, something we hope we hope to have. And if that if that situation arises, we'll be more involved in that process. But it is a fine balance in terms of 
um, you know, keeping your best players or selling them on, selling them on for money and kind of repeating the process. You know, I think, I think every club is, is trying to figure out where they fit in the grand scheme of things and what's right for them. So, and we're no different. Um, you know, I still think the main objective is to win, but if you're a club like FC Dallas, they still want to win, but they, they've had so many talented players that have come through and they've, and they've sold them for a lot of money. So they're, they're one that, you know, really has a, a tricky balance in terms of bringing players through and making money, but also being competitive and trying to make the playoffs and have a, a playoff push. We'll talk to you about the academy in Minnesota United too here shortly, because I know that's major emphasis behind yeah. it here. Um, you spoke about it briefly there in terms of international and, and what it's like doing deals um, nowadays for Major League Soccer. Why, why are you, why are technical directors and scouts spending so much time in South America in particular? Why is that an attractive marketplace for Major League Soccer at the moment? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, we do have a big presence in Europe as well and other markets. But I think South America is still looked at as a place where there's some really good value for money. You know, I, I know Europe is is more established. It's more structured. Um, and quite frankly, the, the players are more expensive. Sure. So you go down to South America, and if, if you want to put the work in and, you know, build contacts and relationships with clubs, we feel you can find really good value for money. And you have a lot of incredible players. Um, they maybe have not got the right opportunities to develop, you know, depending on what country you're going to. It's, it's very different. Um, and we think there's just an incredible amount of raw potential. With the addition of the second teams, you know, we're now looking at younger players. Previously, you would always have to find a player who you thought was at the right price point, the right type of player, but they'd have to be a little bit further along in their development because you wanted them to make an impact in your first team right away. We weren't really built for, you know, players that had a year or two or three to develop and then and then be able to make make their mark in the first team. But with the second the addition of the second team for us, we are now looking at a younger player who we think we can bring into the second team and give him some time and some seasoning and hopefully progress into the first team. So for us it's it's completely changed the way we look at roster build. I know we just hit on the transfer window and some of those signings. We didn't really dive into Benitez, but looking at just some of the players brought into the roster or even we're here from last year, would a player like a Rosales or an Ariaga fit that billing? And then also sort of what's your take on Juan Juane since he's been here and how he seems to kind of be finding his form you know, from South Africa, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, no, um, it's no accident that we have these talented young players because that was a big, a big part of our off-season push. I know Joseph came the year before, but um, we felt that was something we needed. We needed we needed youth. We needed energy. We needed athleticism. So we f- we feel really good about that that group of of players. Um, you know, young, but also ready. For, like I just mentioned, ready for the first team. You know, I think I think they're coming in and making a contribution and helping us win games. But they've also got an incredible amount of potential. And that's Joseph, that's Curvin, and that's and that's Bongi. I think they all fit that category, and it's something the team needed. You know, not that we were getting too old, but there was, it was probably an older group that n- that needed that impetus of of youth. You know, um, and I think they've all they've added to the first team. They've provided depth and just a different dynamic. Knowing that we re- we really like the group we have, they're just really good complementary pieces, and have added so much to just the ener- energy and enthusiasm of the team. What's the story with Flongwane? How do you find a player like that? 
you know, it's, it's, it's contacts. It's, you know, that's why you, that's why you're on the phone all day, every day. You know, um, that's why you have scouting networks. That's why you have a trusted network of people around the world. You know, you're, you're just on the phone all the time, you know, pounding the, pa- the pavement. Um, you know, and a lot of times it doesn't work out. We probably look at 10,000 players and you end up signing four. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, um, you know, a lot of video work. It's a lot of travel. You know, and we've we've spent a lot of time doing all those things, and you don't always get instant rewards, but eventually you'll, if you look at enough players and you have enough people in your in your trusted network, that you're gonna you're gonna find players like that. So, uh, Bongi's been incredible since he's been here. He's a fantastic kid. You know, he's a he's a real superstar in South Africa. So I know he comes with a, a big <laughs> social media profile. I heard he's on the State Fair prowl today. I, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it. But um, he's he was. Kind of like I spoke about, he's the profile of exactly what we needed. A young, talented player who has a bright future ahead of him. He's got incredible room for, for growth. He's got energy. He has a smile on his face. You know, the group just loved him right from the, right from the first day he walked through the, through the door. And he's been incredible. And, you know, I, th- I think everyone's witnessed, you know, his progression even over the course of, what is it, six or seven months. You know, he came in and did well and gave us energy, but now he's, he's going to that that next level. So he's understanding the way we play. You know, he's, he's starting to score goals. His quality in the final third has improved. So he's someone that we really like and think he's got a really bright future. Okay. Talk to us then about MNUFC two and, and mm-hmm. from your chair, how advantageous has, has that been for Minnesota United? Um, it, it's a game changer for us. It really is. You know, and I, don't, I don't know if we expect instant results in terms of, you know, days and weeks and months. Um, but like I said, it's, it's completely changed the way we look at, at recruitment and, um, not to say it's, it's not valuable for some of our first team players that aren't getting minutes. It's invaluable for that. You know, they, they can play a game every weekend Mm -hmm. and in years past they would play three to five friendly games. Maybe we'd send them out on loan for a couple months. Um, it was, it was very much an inadequate way to develop players. Now, if they're not in the first team, they, they can they can play games. We have a core of the team um, that we thought was really Im- important to kind of set a foundation. You know, we have we have the movement from academy players to come up and play, so it's it's major incentive for them. You know, you're an academy player, you're hoping to become a professional. That pathway is has become expedited. You know, now you you have the ability to go to the next step and, and play with the second team. Um, the other thing, and purely from a recruitment point of view, we, we now can get those players from different parts of the world and, and the U.S. Um, that aren't ready for the first team, but we think have incredible potential. So in terms of my job in the recruitment department, you know, we're looking at those 18-year-old players that they're not ready for the first team, but they've got talent, and we think we've got a, a really good place for them to develop, and there's a really clear pathway to the first team. What from the outside? How can people view the movement between the teams? And you and I have even talked about this because I was trying to find clarity about you know why Justin McMaster but not Isiel Jackson can get when there's injuries in depth. So even within the academy, moving up to the second team or the second team who's available to move up and and join in in the first team when there's some injuries and issues, how how do you navigate that with how these players are rostered, contracts and things like that? 
Yeah, with with great difficulty and confusion, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. It's well, I'm sure people on the outside or p- fans are watching yeah. going, well, why is he getting it on the bench, but he's not on the bench, you know, and he's scoring yeah. goals for two and whatever. Yeah. Um, so where do I start with this? So, yeah, it, it's, it is confusing. Um, what the second team has provided is a pool of players that can – can progress to the first team, the logistics and the mechanisms to get there is, is the challenging part. Um, you know, any MLS contracted player can play in the second team and real easy freedom of movement. A player that's signed to a second team deal, you basically have to have space for him in your MLS roster and you can sign him full, full time. Some players are not eligible to do that. I won't go into all the details. Sure. Um, there, there's there's a lot of different ways, and, and we're quite frankly we're working through it. Mm-hmm. There are some players that we have on our second team that are still draft eligible, so we don't necessarily have their rights, you know. And I think the league's kind of working through all these different scenarios, and and it is new because you're we're trying to sign young players, but in MLS there's different categories and and way you can you can bring players into your MLS roster. So it is confusing. There's work permits, mm-hmm. um, you know, but basically other than four moments. A year, each player can go to the, the MLS team four moments a year. Um, you basically have to have space to add them. So that's that's the clearest answer. Sure. Um, but it's something the league is still working on, and it's it's pretty complicated still at this point. You have to be respective of the foreign rule. Um, you know, there's a lot of MLS rules that apply. Um, and what we're hoping to do, just finishing off year one of of MNUFC two, we're trying to clarify all that and 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 really have a defined pathway because. The goal is ultimately to graduate players from the second team to the first team. Um, final one on MNUFC2 and, and the youth portion of, of the franchise. Um, mm. You've got Devin Padelford, you've got Fred Emmons, you've got a, a handful of Minnesotans mm-hmm. on the second team that may very well make their way up to be first team regulars at some stage. Right. How much are you focused and, and scouting in the state of Minnesota? So, yeah, we, we do a lot of that. Um, and that's something we're going to double down on um i can say for most clubs and and we're not we're not any different there is nothing more satisfying than developing local kids have them progress through the the player pathway and play games at Allianz stadium for the first team that is that is paradise for us so we're going to be really focused on that you know we've we've had some players that have that have made that jump. You know, like you said, Fred and, and, and Devin, we really like Carlos Leatherman. There's a bunch of players that are, that are kind of there. Um, and we want to keep enhancing that and, and, and have players come, come through our player pathway. And it's with the addition of the second team, we, we feel that pathway is complete now, you know, so the big push will be to get the best local kids, give them the correct training, you know, have that carrot of the second team there where they can, they can make the jump. So you're, you're not just waiting for a homegrown deal. You know, you can actually, you can actually play in the next step, and if you're good enough, you're going to train with the first team. So it's 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 daily um, reinforcement of you know if you're good enough and you want to put the work in and, and your performances are good enough, the pathway is right there, and we do that on a daily basis. Academy kids will train with the second team, second team players will train with the first team, and that's what you want. It's the hey, you've had a great week of training, you're going to go train with the first team today. They're doing they're doing eleven v eleven, you're going to go play. You know two times 30 minutes against Manuel Reynoso and Robin Lug. And that's, that's really important, that incentive to, you know, you're not just with the academy team and you're traveling. Like, if you do well, you're, 
you're with the first team the next day, you know, and I think I think that is as a really important part of the whole process. Um, just a couple more because we know you've got a, a very busy afternoon and mm-hmm. lots to do. Um, scouting for you then over the course of of the next couple of months. We all know the FIFA World Cup is on the horizon, right? And it's usually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a very busy period for your department in terms mm-hmm. of scouting all across the entirety of the globe. How does that now change with the World Cup being played in in November, December? Yeah, it's going to be heavily expedited. So, you know, we just finished a transfer window. Um, the scouting has already started. You know, the I think for the most part, most leagues will end the end of October. I think there's a few leagues, maybe second divisions that will carry on. You know, and our, our, our fall scouting goes right up until Christmas. We're usually on the road to like the 23rd of December. So with the World Cup, most of the leagues shut down. And like I said, we basically have till the end of October to, to really do all that work. There is still scouting in January and February because our window doesn't normally open until the end of February. Um, so we can do it then. But the, the, the push is to try and make as many decisions now and have those players ready and available for the first day of, of preseason training in January. I know I asked you this before you came on air, but your, your plan is not to go to the World Cup. But when you look at how this World Cup being moved to November doesn't just change the scouting, but how did, and how it changed some of the transfer windows for you guys what do you think sort of the mood was amongst this league and other leagues for that adjustment and some of the way, you know, leagues and players had to operate? I think it's turned a lot of those types of scenarios completely upside down. Like we've never done this before. There's never been a winter world cup. So um, (laughs) there's no precedent that's been set. So we just look at the timeline and say, we've got to get on this a little bit quicker and, and do a little bit more work early on. Like I said, there are some leagues that will carry on and, if we think there's value in those leagues, we'll maybe delay the scouting until the other leagues have shut down. Um, but it's just had to expedite the whole process. You know, I think I think the league and training is going to start earlier because, you know, the there's a there's a break um, and the break's a little bit longer than normal. So I I think everything's going to start a little bit earlier in January. So the whole pr- the whole process and and how you make your decisions just ha- has to happen a little bit quicker this this time around. What off season? It's going to be nothing good. <laughs> no. no break exactly. at all. There is Christmas Day. Let's not forget Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things and that's tend it. to slow down for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those unaware, uh, Watto is from Vancouver, a former mm-hmm. Canadian international. Yeah. So let's talk about Canada at the World Cup, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at the group here. Belgium, Croatia, Morocco. Um, no doubt there's an element of excitement for Canada, as they should be right now. This is an amazing time for Canadian football. Mm-hmm. Realistically, though, what, what do you expect from this Canadian national team at the World Cup? I fully expect Canada to get out of the group. Do you? Kind of. <laughs> no. In, in reality, I think, I think um, you know, it's a, it's a good time for, for soccer in Canada with their national team. I think they have an incredible amount of um, confidence and optimism going forward. You know, and the conventional wisdom would say, well, they're up against, you know, Croatia perennial, you know, top four, top eight, same with Belgium, one of the, one of the best teams in the world. They're just going to be happy to be there. I, I don't think that's the case though. I think, I think they know they're in a difficult group. I think they know that, you know, they don't have that championship pedigree, the, the world cup pedigree to fall back on. But I think there's a lot of confidence in the group, you know, um, they've got players playing at a really high level and they, they won this region's qualifying group. So, you know, I think, I think it's going to be really difficult, 
um, but with some some third place finishers moving on, I think there'll be some confidence in the group. And if they can get a win and a draw, I think I think there's a lot of belief there. So um, saying that, it's it's a it's a great moment for for the country. And you know, they haven't been in the World Cup since 1986 was was their only appearance. So I think I think there's a, a ton of positives. Um, yeah, and I think there's a, a fair bit of confidence moving forward, even though I think you know the opponents are going to be really difficult. Did it surprise you how well they did in CONCACAF? And, or are you more surprised that it's been since 1986 since they've been to a World Cup? So I think, I think you know, prior to the, the, the group starting, I think to think of them as being the top of the group. And I think they lost one game. I think they lost to Costa Rica in the end, but undefeated going into the last couple games. I think, I don't think anyone had those expectations. But I think, um, and a lot of credit to John Herdman, he's, he's come in and, had a little bit of time to get the group together, you know, and, and has a has a pretty pretty good group of players. You have Alphonse Davies, you have Jonathan David, you have a, you know a lot of really good players playing at a, at a high level. Um, so I think he had some time to, you know, to build the group, to build a culture, you know. And you hear the the, the players speak; they they all speak the same message, and that's that's from having a group together and um, being able to put these kind of core components in. Um, and I think confidence just grew. You know, I think they had some good results prior to that would give you some hope. But I think once they got into the group, and I was actually at the game in in Mexico, and Canada played really well, and they and they got a draw, which is unheard of um, to go into Aztec and 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 get a draw for Canada. So the confidence just grew, and I think by the middle of the of the games, I think there was a lot of belief. You know, but to still think you're going to top the group with perennial powerhouses in Mexico and the U.S. I think was Still a little ambitious, but I think game by game, going on the road and getting getting wins and points, um, the confidence just grew. And now I think I think it's a strong group. Uh, I think they're they're coached well. I think the tactically they have a really nice setup for for each game and what the the variables require. You know, so we'll see. I think they know they're they're up against it a little bit, but um, stranger things have happened. Final subjects because this this is sort of a match preview podcast, although we tend to talk about a variety of different things nowadays. Um, Houston Dynamo, the opponents for Minnesota United this coming weekend. Um, We were discussing earlier on about how uh, people would view it as a trap game or a banana skin. Mm -hmm. Um, What what do we expect from Minnesota United against the Dynamo, Mm -hmm. given the fact that that Houston Dynamo are coming into this water with just one win in their last 10, Minnesota United the complete opposite, one defeat in the last 10? Yeah, so... I completely understand why people would would tag the game as as such. And I know Adrian well enough. He will not let our group take this game lightly. You know, um, we played them in Houston six weeks ago, maybe two months ago. And it was not an easy game. They're they're a good team. They they play a style that's very difficult to play against. They're open. They, They have a lot of possession. I think more so in Houston, they try to take advantage of the the heat and humidity, but it was not an easy game. We were disciplined enough to to see it through and get the three points. Um, and you know we're we're coming back back home where we feel really really confident against anyone. Um, but needless to say, this this team will not be taken lightly. You know I know Adrian well enough; he will not let that happen. And this group needs to take these games and approach it with the right mentality, because I th- I think any team in the league, home or away, if 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 you're not prepared, if your mentality is not correct, you have a very good chance to lose the game. I think there's, there is enough parity where if you're not on it and 
there's enough players not playing well and you haven't approached it the right way, you're going to lose the game. So I think that message will be really clear going into the weekend. And I think we, we can talk specifically with Houston about that, but even looking at the entire Western Conference, and we talk all the time about parroting this league and the standings, mm-hmm. the insanity of really positions three through 10 or 11, you know, when you look at who could could not get in. Yeah. And the remaining schedule for Minnesota United with Portland, Salt the Horizon, Salt Lake, Dallas, obviously, and LAFC, who's uh, up at the top there. But does this, and the way this Western Conference is shaping up this year, surprise me. You know, the last couple of years have been kind of crazy, but even where we're sitting at now with Sporting KC, even still at the bottom, we can look at guys that are teams right. that are below the playoff line with Seattle and yeah. teams that are normally up there. Colorado, they, they you know, topped the Western Conference last season, and now they're below the line. Does this surprise you at all? You know, it doesn't. I think I think the league is based on parity, you know, and even Kansas City, they're they're off it, but they're a good team. They came here and, and gave us a really difficult day. Um, you know, so I think that I think the same kind of message really. If you take any any team lightly in this league, you're gonna you're gonna lose the game, home or away. Um, you know, it's a it's a testament to to the league and and the parity that I don't know how many teams are still kind of in the playoff hunt. There's probably eight. You know, and it's so tight. I think the Eastern Conference is the same. You know, so there's six, seven, eight games left in the season, and there's still an incredible amount of teams that that still have have playoff aspirations. So, the intensity, the um, you know, the end of the season is basically the playoffs have already started. It's it's the playoff push. You know, so a lot of teams have that mentality. We we you know we have to win four of our last eight to make the playoffs. So that intensity has already started now. Um, you know, and we're no different. We're, we're in a good spot, but we know we need a, a bunch more wins to, to, um, to get in the playoffs. And obviously, once you get in the playoffs, then you have aspirations to, to be in the top four and have a home playoff game. It's exhilarating, isn't it? Being involved in the top four race. It's so exciting. It really is. You know, <laughs> I think, I think there's, a, um, there's a knock on, you know, a lack of promotion and relegation. Mm-hmm. But... And there's, there's, there's a couple of teams that probably don't have anything to play for at, at this point in time, but there's so many that, that do. And like I said, every, every game will have something on it between now and the end of the season. And then the playoffs actually start. So I think, I think the end of the season is incredibly exciting, and there's just so much on, on every game. Absolutely, there is. There is something on the game for Minnesota United this weekend against Houston Dynamo, 2.30pm Central at Allianz Field. Now, before we head off, let me explain this one to you because this game is technically on national television through Univision and Turiene. You can find an English language feed on Twitter, but we, as in myself and Kindred St. Aubin, will continue the regularities and also do a broadcast on Bali Sports North and indeed the CW Twin Cities. Uh, my thanks as always to Kindred D. St. Aubin, our expert button presser Grace Dearson, and to our very special guest Mark Watson as well, and of course for you the listener, uh, for listening along with us throughout the entirety of the podcast. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics.